cloud covered the tent of the meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. And so the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all of the Israelites during their travels. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as we uh, continue to uh, wrestle with the implications of you being with us, we pray as always for insight and understanding into this relationship you're inviting us into with you, with each other, and the relationship that we're in with ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's good to see those of you who have braved the deluge that we're in. As Alex mentioned, at this point it's just on a weekly basis that we get rain on Saturday, and then our softball team tries to go play uh, in the water on Sunday. So we'll see. Tomorrow we're in the championship. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah. well, the championship rounds, yes. So, you know, we've got a lot of, Michelle's done a great job getting community groups going. This is one of them, a softball team, and we are just tearing it up in this league. Um, We've won two games by four foot. Anyway, if you've been with us through this fall, you know that we're in the midst of our fall series, and we've been using this book, God With Us, by John Peckham, that's outlining um, Adventist teaching, brand new book. We're using that as an outline to cover topics, and so today we're looking again at this idea that God is with us. So with our, the Bible as our guide and John Peckham's book, as our thematic outline, uh, we're going to continue on through this, this fall. And so today, we're going back to the time of uh, Moses, as you uh, read there in Exodus, and we see this very intentional effort by God showing that he is present with us. This is the whole theme of Peckham's book, is that uh, theology, Christian theology, Adventist theology is designed inherently to tell us that God is with us, that God is not just far off and removed as many of the gods of the ancient cultures uh, were, but God is present, God is with us, and so this is evident in a very specific way in Exodus 40, which we just read. And so the story goes, the background is after the uh, Israelites, so these are Abraham's kids, had spent centuries as slaves in Egypt, God uh, brought them out of Egypt, and for 40 years, they were kind of nomads uh, in the, the Sinai Desert and then in the desert between uh, or around the Jordan River, and so they were moving around, they were intense, and uh, God was very intentional about how they were going to live. Again, they had been slaves for 400 years. So they had not had the autonomy to live as they wanted to live. And so if you read in the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, those books can be hard to get through, especially if you're trying to read through the Bible in the year. You know, Genesis and most of Exodus 
isn't too bad because it's a story, but then you get into Leviticus and there's a book called Numbers. It's boring. Warning. By the way, we're going to do, yeah, you've tried. We're going to do a, um, Michelle and I are working on a, a, a Bible reading plan for 2024 and beyond. We're going to invite you to read with us, but we're going to mix it up. It's very hard to read just Genesis through the end. The Bible was not designed to just be read through that way. So we're going we're gonna to mix it up to make it a little more helpful that we can actually get through that together as a congregation. So that is coming. Anyway, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, these uh, books are the telling of how God is teaching these people who have been slaves for four years and had no autonomy how to live as a society, how to live as a people, how to live as a community. And so there's health practices and there's uh, architectural practices and all kinds of things. God gets super ex- specific. So uh, in the story of God with us, God gives this plan for the people and how they're going to set up their, their living quarters. All right, so there's 12 tribes. These are from the, the, uh, the, the descendants of Abraham. And so they're going to have their communities. They're going to have their tents set up by tribes. So you would know where your t- tribe is. And then in the middle of all of the the, 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 the communal tents, there was this thing called the tabernacle. You may be familiar with this if you tried to read the story. And so God sets up this tabernacle in the middle of the camp. And, uh, and in the middle of the tabernacle is this, there's this tent and then there's the most holy place. And so what we just read in Exodus chapter 40 is the story that once all of this set, is set up, God's uh, presence comes down in the form of a giant cloud and sets right above the most holy place. Now, inside of the most holy place uh, was the Ark of the Covenant, and inside of the Ark was the Ten Commandments, and on top of the Ark was what was called the Mercy Seat, and this was all designed, again, to emphasize that God is among the people. So you have this massive camp without it, we don't know, 100,000 people and in the midst of the camp is this temple and in the midst of the 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 tabernacle is God's presence resting on top of the mercy seat so the by day it was a cloud by night it was a pillar of fire now later in the bible story when they get settled in the in the in the 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 in in Jerusalem the city of David uh, David's son later in the story he actually builds a permanent so now they're not living in tents anymore he builds a permanent temple and uh, in that permanent temple it's modeled after the ancient tabernacle and again there's a mo- there's a giant rock and there's a most holy place and on top of the most holy place again is the ark of the covenant in the ark of the covenant is the ten commandments and on top of the ark of the covenant is the mercy seat and again the idea is that the people are all living around and god is present with them. He's always present. When they move, when he moves, they move. They're always uh, together. Now, some of you know that I was just there in Jerusalem a couple of weeks ago, and so if you go there, for those of you who have been there, you go there and our Jewish friends gather at uh, the Western Wall. And uh, there at the Western Wall, there's some stones at the bottom of the Western Wall, and our Jewish friends and others, anybody can go there, they go and they put their prayers in in between the stones and written on little paper. And why they do that, you may know this, but they do this because in their minds, this is as close on earth 
as you can get to God because those stones are from Herod's temple, which is in the same place that Solomon's temple was, and is as close as they can get to the ancient most holy place. The most holy place is up on top of those stones, high up, and our Jewish friends can't go up there. Actually, we got to go up there because uh, we're not Jewish. Jewish friends are not allowed to go up there, so the closest they can get to the most holy place. So they were believe God's presence is still there, just like it was back in the day. And so as close as they can get is to that wall. And so they gather at that wall, and they're putting their prayers in uh, the wall. The idea, again, is that God is, is present. Now, when Jesus came, he kind of changed this dynamic, all right? When Jesus came, he presented himself as the embodiment of God's presence. No longer was God's presence in a, a particular uh, building. It wasn't in a, in a place, but God's presence was now with the people, amongst the people, moving uh, around. And so the symbolic fire, the symbolic uh, cloud, that was not necessary because God was here in human form and in, 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 in humanness, moving among the people. And so this inspired the first Christians to understand as, of God as being even more personal, that God uh, was present, God was a human, God was with us. Uh, the Apostle Paul says it like this. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? So Christian understanding of God's presence now is that God isn't just stuck in some piece of architecture. He's not stuck in some temple. You don't actually have to go to a, a, a wall and stick your prayers in there because that's as close as that you can get to God. The Christian idea that comes from Jesus is that God is present with us. And in fact, somehow, mysteriously, mystically even, God is able to be present in us because we as humans are the temple of God's Holy Spirit. The key idea, though, is still this idea that God is present with us. He's, he's omnipresent. He's able to be everywhere all at once. That's hard for us to wrap our minds around because it doesn't work for us. We can't be everywhere all at once. That would be nice. I know for some of us with kids, it would be nice to be everywhere all at once so that we could all be helping or, 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 or making everything happen at once. It doesn't work for us, but this is the idea of, of the Bible when it comes to God, and it's the idea that uh, Jesus came was human form, but he's also able through the spirit to be omnipresent and all with us. No longer uh, were humans to think of God as being just in a place of architecture. You know, th this building is a church, but in one sense, it's no more special than any other building because God is able to be everywhere and uh, anywhere. God is always uh, with us. Uh, this, by the way, counteracts that idea. I don't even remember of that old uh, Christian idea that, you know, God was with us, but not always with us. If we went to, say, a theater that was putting, you know, the angels feared to tread going in there. Do you remember that idea? That is a dumb idea. God is everywhere. God is able to be with us always. Uh, Jesus in Matthew said, where two or three are gathered together, I am there with them. So not only is he present with us as, as us being the temple of the Holy Spirit, but when we, so there's the individual side that God is always with us, but then in community also, God is with us. Where two or three are gathered together, Jesus said, I am there with you. So not confined to a building, not confined, confined to an address, 
not confined to a, a, a place in the world that we have to fly to, to go to, so that we can leave our prayers there. God is with us always. And so this idea that God is omnipresent uh, is, is an essential for us to understand how God works with us. By the way, this is not an idea that is just reserved for the Christian era. Even in the Old Testament era, era, the idea that God was able to be in all places at all times is, is relevant. Jeremiah, one of the ancient prop, prophets of uh, the Hebrew Bible, he says it like this. This is Jeremiah 23, 23. I, am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Don't I fill the heaven and the earth, declares the Lord. So God all along has been communicating to us as his human kids that he is everywhere. There's no place that you can go, even though in the Bible stories you have times where people go and try to hide from God, and God is like, what are you doing? What are you doing? So this idea that God is omnipresent, he's always with us. But there's another idea that kind of goes with us, and that is that God is, the theological word is omniscient, that God is all-knowing. Not only is he able to be everywhere, but he also knows everything. <laughs> he knows everything that's going on in the world. He knows everything that's happened. He knows that which is to come. We're not going to talk about that now. That's a whole other conversation about God's ability to know the future and what that means for our ability to have free will. By the way, Peckham in the book, if for those of you who did get the book, he wrestles with all of this. We don't have time to talk about the implications of God who knows the future and yet also gives us free will. So you can read that in Peckham. We can talk about that at a, at a different time. But the idea is very present in the Bible that God also knows all things. Uh, Jesus said things like, uh, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the, eye, the eyes of the Lord, but God knows your heart. God knows what's going on in our heart. In Psalm 44, the psalmist writes, if we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it since he knows the secrets of the heart? Not only does he know the great mysteries of the universe and he knows what's happened in the past and he knows what's to happen in the future, but he also knows what's going on in our hearts, the things that only we know. And, and some things about us we don't even know about ourselves. God knows. God is with us. He's present. God also knows what's going on. Matthew chapter 20, 10, verse 29, one of those encouraging passages in all the Bible, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. God cares. God knows. God's engaged. He's not far off and removed. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. This is Jesus' own word, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than two sparrows. God is present. God is with us. And God cares. He knows what's going on, and he knows the concerns that we have, and he knows what we're dealing with. All of this is embodied in this idea that God is there for us. God cares what's going on. There was uh, this part of the sanctuary service, the tabernacle service, where people would uh, bring, if they, they had done something that they had harmed someone else or harmed themselves, they would come to the tabernacle and they would confess what they had done. 
They would, they would say, and they, there was an animal sacrifice. It was a whole thing. It was bloody. It was horrific. The implication was to remind people that uh, the, their brokenness and our broken relationships had a, an impact on others. And in fact, at one time, I was looking to Jesus that someone is going to be sacrificed because of this brokenness to heal this brokenness. But the people would come and they would confess the things that they had done that had harmed their relationship with God, had harmed their relationship with others, and had harmed their relationship with themselves. They would confess this, and then uh, the blood from the lamb would be taken into the most holy place and placed before it. And the idea that was that these people were confessing to, to God. But even in this scenario... The issue was not that God didn't know what had happened. God knew, but the people were acknowledging that they also knew that what they had done was harmful to themselves and harmful to their relationship with others and ultimately with God. And so according to the scriptures, there is no place that we cannot go that God isn't there. And there is nothing that we can know that God doesn't already know. God is present with us and God knows and God cares and so we are invited to live as temples now just like that tabernacle where God came and his presence was there we as humans are invited to to live as temples of the Holy Spirit that God lives in us and that means he knows us he cares about us and he's present with us the challenge for us is that living as a temple recognizing that God is always present with us and that God knows and God cares can be incredibly difficult for us. It's challenging for us to live that life with that recognition and that knowledge. And so our big question today is, what is it that inhibits us from living as if God is always present with us and all-knowing about us? The Bible is clear. This is God is present. He wants to be among us. He, does, he, he, he makes his presence known in dramatic fashion and form sometimes, and he knows everything about us, but for us to live with this reality can be incredibly challenging. So we want to spend a few minutes thinking about why this is the case. And I would propose to you that the first reason why this is challenging is because if we're honest with ourselves, we're not all that comfortable with the idea that God knows everything about us and that God is always with us. We're not comfortable with us because there's some things in our experience that we'd rather God not know about. There's some things in our experience that we'd rather anybody not know about. There's some things in our experience we wish we didn't even know about. This is fun. We have people on the screen. Now, Levi, is that, was that intentional? We <laughs> just put up brand... <laughs> Who knows when you could come on the screen? Anyway, all right, we're just having fun here. Um, there we go, that's better. Just wanna make sure nobody puts on their camera and has no idea that they are on the big screen here at Advent Home. Anyway, okay, yeah, so some of us that were uncomfortable with this reality that God knows everything and God is always present with us. Sometimes we wish we could go places and we're like, God, can you just uh, maybe not follow me here? And so <laughs> that makes us uncomfortable. And so that makes it hard to live with this reality that God is always present and God is always uh, with us, you know? It's like, you know, I've got kids. I mean, at some point, and I was a, 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 a child at once, and sometimes you want to leave mom and dad and you want to go and do your, th your own thing. And sometimes you actually don't want mom and dad to know exactly where you are or what you're doing. You know what I'm talking about? 
I know you know what you did with this, Alex. Yeah, you want to you want to go out, you want to do your thing, and you don't want mom or dad to find out what you were doing. And so the reality that God is always present, as, as in some moments that sounds great, God is always with us, always. And in some moments we're like, oh God, please don't be with me right now. And so that's hard for us to be reconciled with this and wrestle with that duality of wishing that God was present with us, but sometimes maybe not so much. Uh, secondly, we wrestle with this reality because it doesn't always seem like God is present and all-knowing. When our lives are chaotic, when things are a mess, when things seem out of control, either in our lives or in the world. Listen, you don't have to be watching or reading or whatever the news right now to realize that the world is a mess. Things are a mess. We had a, 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 a war that was going on that had everybody's attention. Now we have two wars going on in the last two weeks. We've got war and people are dying on both sides and it's horrible. It's horrific what's happening. And the world seems a mess and it doesn't seem like God is very present. And it doesn't seem like God knows that much. Because if he knew much, why isn't he taking care of things? Why isn't he solving these problems? Why are people living in des desperate situations and why are people dying in desperate situations? It just seems like things are a mess. So this challenges this reality for us that God is all present and all knowing because it doesn't seem like that's actually the case. The world is a mess and we are a mess. This is, uh, I think, a moment for an important related uh, side note that comes uh, right from the Bible itself, in fact, right from Jesus himself. And that is, despite the fact that sometimes we say this and we communicate this and we talk like this, but this is reality, God does not control everything. Okay, God is not always in control. There are other factors happening in the universe. There is an idea of the uh, omnipotent God, that God is all-powerful, and while God may have the capability to be all-powerful, we know that God has set up, and is somewhat mysterious, some ground rules that allow him to maintain justice and love in the universe, but that provide for the fact that he will not dictate and control everything that is happening in the universe. There are other things happening that are affecting what's happening. And this is important to know because when we look at the world, we see or we look at our lives and we see that there's a mess and things aren't happening and, and, uh, or things are happening that we don't want to happen, we got to recognize that God can be present and God can be all-knowing, but if he's not all-controlling, then things can go sideways. And I know for you, sometimes things have gone sideways. Things might be going sideways right now. Certainly in the world, things are going sideways. This is not part of God's plan to have people murdering each other. And killing each other. And so Jesus described it uh, like this. This is Matthew chapter thir 13. I think one of the more important passages in all the Bible to help us to understand God's character. Because that's the big picture. It's one thing to say God is with us, but if God is with us and his character is not just and loving, we are in trouble. Matthew chapter 13, this is a parable that Jesus himself is saying. Uh, Jesus told them another parable. 
This is Matthew 13, verse 24. I'd suggest marking this down. It's an important passage. He said this, Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came in and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? And the master said, An enemy has done this. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? And he said, No, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together into the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds, tie them into the bundles and be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Jesus is alluding to an ancient reality that is spoken of somewhat mysteriously throughout the Bible, and that is that there is an enemy at work. There is an enemy at work that has been given the ability, based on some unwritten ground rules that we don't completely understand, that maintain justice and the love in the universe, there is an enemy at work that is working to undo all the things that God wants to do. And this enemy is ultimately responsible for the brokenness, along with us, who went along with the enemy in the beginning, to, 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 to have all of this chaos that's going on in the world. And so whether it's the enemy himself doing it, or oftentimes we make decisions because we also are, 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 are able to operate with some autonomy. God isn't dictating and controlling everything. Now, there are some Christians, by the way, I should note, as a second side note, who believe this. They believe God is controlling everything and dictating and every single thing that's happening in the world. God is controlling it in his will and his desire because God is sovereign. But that leads to some very, very serious and disturbing questions about God and his character, I think. So what Jesus is saying when he's saying, hey, it's not God controlling everything, but there is an enemy at work. It helps us to understand that things are happening that God doesn't even want or desire. Now, ultimately, he's going to make everything right. But until everything is made right, there's chaos. But this reality of chaos can challenge our understanding and our ability to embrace the idea that God is present with us and God is all-knowing. We're going to sing a song, I think, a little later, called God Can Work It Out. Is that right, Abby? Are we singing that? Are we singing God? Not right now, but in a minute. Are we going to sing? I feel like I heard you rehearsing God Will Work It Out. Okay. I think we're going to sing that together. I think there's an important truth in the idea of God will work it out that alludes to the fact that while God is not in control of everything, he can work everything out. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 8, 20, 28. Okay, God is not in control of everything. The world is in chaos right now. But Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. The idea here is that while things may seem like they're a mess and actually be a mess, God is able to take that which is a mess and bring good out of it. God will work it out, but it doesn't mean God is controlling everything that is happening. God can take bad and make good come from it, but he did not originate the bad that is happening. 
So that was the side note. But this reality that there's chaos in the world inhibits our ability to embrace this God who is present and all-knowing. Finally, it can be hard for us to connect with an invisible God. This inhibits our ability to embrace this all-knowing and all-present God because we don't see him. You know, it was nice when certainly when Jesus was walking amongst the disciples and he was God present himself and it was nice when there was a giant uh, pillar of fire or cloud with them and people could see that. We don't have that experience and so because God works within us and it's, it's a more invisible experience, this can be difficult for us and this is why our hope does come back to a Jesus. So when we're struggling and wrestling with the idea that God is all-knowing and all-present, we can always look back to Jesus who became human on our behalf. And then we're told that Jesus had this incredible experience where the transcendent God, the God of the tabernacle, the God of the cloud and the fire, and Jesus himself were presented as one. This is Matthew chapter 9, and we're landing the plane Matthew chapter 9, verse 2. It says, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led, him up to, led them up to a high mountain where they were all alone. There Jesus was transformed and changed or transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than any, anything in the world could, and, and anything that could bleach them. And there, uh, and there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. That's a whole story for another day. Uh, he did not know what to say. They were so frightened. He was just talking like, maybe we should set up houses for you guys. He was so overwhelmed by what was happening to Jesus. Then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud. Where does that cloud come from? Well, we already read in our text of emphasis in Exodus chapter 40 that God's presence was in a cloud. So now here is the cloud and it's enveloping the disciples and Moses and Elijah and Jesus whose face has been transformed. And Peter is just overwhelmed and he doesn't, he starts babbling. And in the cloud was a voice that said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except for Jesus. So Elijah and Moses, the other great prophets, they were gone because the Father was putting all the attention on Jesus. And so when we are struggling to be reconciled with a God who is all-present and all-knowing, when that's hard for us to grasp, whether it's because we don't want to know that or because we look at the chaos in our lives and the world or because it's hard to... To, to connect with an invisible God, God invites us back to consider Jesus. Jesus who was transfigured and transformed and Jesus for whom the Father has invited us to look upon and put our trust in. And as we do that, God can give us the hope and the courage and the peace to live in this broken world that we exist in today. And so may God do this in our experience today and may you be a tabernacle of God's Holy Spirit. Amen.